Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. On a, Well, it's a beautiful weather day. It's going to be a little warm. We are getting some warm weather, and of course, that's causing some complications. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, but there's lots to do in the outdoors. But falling water levels in a lot of reservoirs, we're going to cover some of that during the show, is making boat access difficult. In fact, lakes like uh, Jackson and Pruitt are closed for boating already because of the water level. Jumbo is questionable. Sterling's hanging in there. We'll take you around and talk about others. Horsetooth is down, but it's open. And then the fires. The fires, of course, are making fires and smoke are making access uh, difficult to some parts of our high country. A lot of campgrounds are closed. And folks, as we talk during the course of the day today, we're going to try to encourage you to get out. But please do it. Uh, do it safely. Um, the fire danger is so extreme right now. Let's try to preserve our natural resources. And then on a, a sad note, we want to send our condolences out to uh, a young man, a ranger at Horsetooth Reservoir, who drowned a couple days ago here. He was out on night patrol and somehow, I, I, they believe, I think, in a wind event, got thrown from his boat and he drowned. So uh, don't know more details than that, except it's always tragic when we lose somebody. Anyway, let's go to the phones now. And joining us, as he has done many, many times in the past, in fact, he's probably one of our most common fill-in hosts when we went in studio and did that sort of thing, Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. It's uh, you know it's a little smoky up here in Fort Collins, but I intend to spend some time outdoors. And, uh, you know, there's restrictions, a lot of things going on, but there's still a lot of opportunities to get out there and enjoy the outdoors isn't there there really is terry and real fast you know thoughts and prayers to the to the family and friends and co-workers of the of the ranger that did lose his life up at horse tooth i heard you talking about that and that is definitely a sad accident that happened up there my understanding terry is that uh he was he was involved with a water rescue at the time that he went into the water he was actually helping somebody out of the water in the middle of that storm and so he really gave his life to save another person's life. And, uh, you know, just thoughts and prayers to his family out there. Uh, you know, hug a ranger, uh, Terry. If you see those guys up there at the lake, uh, you know, say hello and, and give those guys, you know, give you guys some love up there, you know, Terry. All right. It's really trying times right now with the fires, with the water levels, with the number of people recreating. So that, you know, hasn't made their job any easier, and they do yeoman's work, and they deserve our respect. And as you said, condolences to him. You know, that's just tragedy, a tragedy. Now, Ronnie, I understand you've been out uh, chasing schooling fish. I didn't know school started for fish. Do they do remote learning, or do they do it in person? Well, they are not. A, they are definitely not social distancing, Terry. I can tell you that much. You know, it is definitely that time of year where uh, – you know, with these water dropping, like you mentioned earlier, the water's falling out of a lot of these reservoirs here around the state, and that absolutely pushes all those bait fish out of the shallows. Uh, you end up with a lot of bait fish that end up schooled up that are suspended and moving around the open open part of the lake, and 
you get those fish out there this time of year that are all about the feed, Terry. They're out there chasing those bait fish, and they're out there schooled up on those bait fish. And it's absolutely one of my favorite bites to dial in on. Um, if I can find schooling fish on any of these bodies of water, I know I'm in for a good time, Terry. So, you know, we t- we've talked about it in the past, and, and a lot of fish have that behavior, Terry, where they'll, they'll, they'll target those bait fish in open water and school up on them. We've talked about the white bass and the wipers in the past, and, and the trout really like to do that as well here in these front range reservoirs, especially this time of year and as we head into the fall. Uh, the largemouth, the smallmouth, those are all notorious for wanting to school up in open water a lot of times and chase fish. And, and I can tell you, Terry, I've even ran into walleyes that were schooled up out in the lake before up on horse tooth that were you know just busting like crazy up on the surface and i got into them and it turned out they were all walleyes and and so there's an excellent opportunity if you really pay attention to what's going on on the reservoir and find these schooling fish you can run through a lot of fish in a short amount of time terry you're you're absolutely right and it is all about the food isn't it i mean we we try to look at fish and say this fish does this and that fish does this but they all have to eat and when you get that much of a feeding opportunity in these lakes, and, of course, the, the number one in most of our lakes is probably shad that school up, but in horse tooth you also get the, the smelt that school up. But even, even little uh, you know, panfish like perch and things sometimes will end up in schools. And sometimes, like you said, it's on the surface, and you and I have done that together. And sometimes it's even down deep, and as we get later in the year, we're going to talk about schooling fish and maybe spooning them. But right now, how are you going after them, Ronnie? What, what's your technique? How do you, they're hard to find, right? So you've got to have some patience, and when you find them, how do you, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, that is definitely the first thing, Carrie, is locating the fish. And, and when, when I'm looking for the fish to be on the surface of feeding like that, a lot of times it's it's really about, you know, taking the time to run around a body of water and, and visually look for those fish. Uh, you know, I'm looking for the boils. I'm looking for the disturbance. I'm looking for birds circling, birds that are working, actively working uh, schools of bait. Um, I'm trying to get myself in that area of the lake. You know, a lake like Boyd, for example, Terry, I'll get out there. And if conditions are right, and when I say conditions are right, uh, like on a lake like Boyd or Horse Tooth, a lot of time I'm looking for little to no wind, and I'm doing this kind of a thing early and late in, in the day, Terry, with low light conditions. Uh, sometimes it'll go off in the middle of the day, but primarily it's a it's an early and late thing. Um, I'll get out on a lake like Boyd, and, and that lake's shaped like a figure eight, Terry, and I'll run around that, you know, the, the bottom part, the upper part of the lake, several times early in the morning, just really visually looking for, for the bait fish, looking for the disturbances in the water, looking for any signs of fish that are actively chasing other bait. And, and then I'll put myself in that general area and then, you know, really, really dial in right there the location the fish are and wait for them to come to the surface and, and try to get close enough to them, Terry, to make a, a real long, accurate cast at those fish. Now, there's, there's definitely an opportunity to catch a lot of fish if you can get yourself in the area. But I can tell you, Terry, a lot of times on a lake like Boyd, I see other boats come into the general area that I'm fishing in, and they try to target these schooling fish. And it tends to be that they're making a few mistakes when, they, when they're giving it that shot, Terry. Um, you know, a lot of times when you come into those areas, you don't want to just cast blindly and just kind of make blind casts in the general areas. Certainly that will get you a few bites if there's fish in that area. 
But I've kind of proven it over the years that if I'm kind of patient and I actually wait for those fish to come up and, and boil it and, and make a make an explosion at the surface and, and try to quickly cast my presentation right there in front of a fish, right at the target, um, then if I can get that cast in there, they're going to bite it nine times out of ten. So that's kind of one of the techniques that we go about. We really kind of sight fish these fish and target them with real long, accurate casts. Well, and you're you're absolutely right. You, know, you and I, and I've done it other times too, and so have you, where once you get those boils or nervous waters, we call it sometimes going, depending on how hard they're hitting the surface, it can almost be a fish on every cast, especially with fish like white bass. And when the white bass at Boyd uh, start doing this, it can be incredible. But you mentioned it's multi-species. Before we get into some of the lures, are you are, how, how do you feel about the white bass population at Boyd this year? They do tend to cycle. They do tend to cycle, and we've seen them already this year several times out recently, and there's good numbers of them. There's no doubt about it. You know, people people have been telling me, I had a guy on the boat that, that was swearing to me that the white bass population was in decline and that they weren't out there until they popped up that morning, Terry, and then he had a different opinion about it. Um, I think the key a lot of times is understanding you know, you got to find the right schools of them. And so uh, a lot of times on a lake like Boyd, you know, it may be one in the lake's got a whole bunch of little ones in it, and then the other in the lake's got a whole bunch of big ones in it. So it's really about kind of figuring that out. And, you know, they're kind of repetitive, Terry. Once you kind of get the pattern dialed in and you kind of figure out the general areas and the conditions, then you can pretty much do this year after year, you know, and just try to time it and get out there. And, and so right now on board, there's there's definitely a healthy population. We we had no problem catching white bass in that 15 to 17, 18-inch range. And they get sometimes bigger than that in that lake as well, Terry. But I can also tell you that when we were on the wrong school of white bass and we were generally in the wrong area of the lake, uh, we were catching seven to eight inches. So, uh, you, you know, you want to get away from the little ones and find the bigger ones in that scenario. All right. So we've located. We can see the action. We're trying to keep our cast long. We don't want to get right on top of them and spook them away. So what are you using for presentations? Well, there's a couple of things to mention real fast, Terry. Um, you know, rod and reel setup is going to be very, very important when you're trying to make these presentations. You definitely want to have the longest casting reel that you have in your arsenal, the one that you feel the most confident in, the one that you can bomb out there a good long ways. And you want to have a really, really fast reel as well, Terry, because when those fish are moving around that quick and boiling, you got to be able to get that presentation back to the boat if you didn't get bit and make another cast really, really fast. So for me, it, it just ends to be a seven foot uh, medium medium fast action spinning rod and, and i like to rig it up with nanofill that's one of the one of the presentations you know in open water for targeting these fish that nanofill that super line is is really really great choice because you're going to get a lot of casting distance out of the super line especially nanofill now as far as the lures that we're tying on uh, um, i tend to usually have you know maybe a half a dozen rods rigged up on any given day for that style of fishing when i'm looking for it and i'll sort of rotate through those lures on any given morning or evening trying to dial in exactly what they're looking for terry and if you make a half a dozen to a dozen casts into these boils with a presentation and you don't load up on a fish then you're throwing the wrong thing so you know i'm always going to have a shallow running jerk bait tied on um i'm always going to have a, a a surface lure of some sort tied on maybe a maybe a popper of some sort or maybe a walking bait terry um those are going to often be the two 
things that I primarily go with. And then a lot of times I'm going to have a, a jig tied on or a couple of different jigs tied on, maybe a maybe a gulp minnow on a jig head, like a quarter-ounce gulp minnow, or, or maybe a quarter-ounce tube jig a lot of times will get me the bites in those schooling situations. Uh, a hair jig can be an excellent choice as well. So like a bucktail or a marabou jig, um, a heavy one that you can cast a long distance and get in there. And, you know, a spoon can also be an excellent choice a lot of time. Uh, they'll bite that spoon when it hits the water and it just allows it to fall a couple of feet and boom, they're on it a lot of times, Terry. So, you know, those are usually the things that I'll have tied on, maybe a little crankbait as well of some sort. Um, and then, you know, one of the big things also, Terry, that I see a lot of boats do wrong is they come in and they're making casts, but they, they tend to be working their presentations way too slow. Um, you want something that you can throw at these fish and that you can really rip and make it look erratic, make it look wounded, make it look scared like the bait fish that are getting chased. Uh, you don't want something that you're casting and really, really slowly reeling a lot of times, Terry. So fast presentations, reaction strikes are really what I'm looking for in that scenario. We're almost out of time, Ronnie. How much longer do you think this bite will be available on lakes like Boyd? You know, the bite starts... Yeah, you know, late summer like we're in right now, and we'll often go well into fall, if not into early winter a lot of times. You know, the species might change a little bit. So we're, right now we're seeing a lot of white bass and wipers and that kind of things get real active. The trout will get more active as the water cools off. And so it's the kind of thing that will happen on any given morning here really throughout, you know, as we get into winter, Terry. Um, each lake's going to be a little bit different, so a lot of times it's really about timing the particular body as a water and maybe chasing that bite around as it starts to happen. So Boyd's a good choice right now for white bass, and I'm sure uh, I've seen a lot of wipers and things being caught down at Pueblo as well, Terry. And then as we get later in the year here, horse tooth, really, that bite's really going to get going on horse tooth, especially with this low water that we're getting up at horse tooth. All right. My friend, we are out of time, but this is a great way to fish. You and I have done it together. We have to get out and do it again before it's over this year. Let's get in touch. Ronnie, thank you so much. Great information. All right, Terry. You have a good show. You bet. Ronnie Castiglione. I'll tell you what, if you want to see some of that white uh, bass action, go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. I actually have a, a, a video on there that we filmed right on uh, Boyd Lake using surface poppers to catch these white bass, and it was uh, virtually a fish on every cast. We're going to take a time out, and we come back. Rand Randy Hamden from Parks and Wildlife is going to join us. We're going to talk about the impact of these fires on fishing and hunting on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, soon to have Six locations on the Front Range of Colorado. The new store in Loveland is opening, and it's going to be a combination of their outdoor gear and their ranch and home store. And uh, it's where the Kmart used to be uh, along uh, uh, the main drag of, of Loveland, along Highway 34. So they're, they're in Broomfield. They're in Fort Collins, Loveland, Lafayette, Cheyenne, one in Cheyenne. They're just there to serve you. So if you're headed outdoors, stop by at Jack's. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us from Parks and Wildlife is Randy Hampton. And Randy, earlier in the show, I mentioned that falling water and fires were affecting outdoor recreation. We kind of touched a little bit on the falling waters earlier with boat ramps and things, but these fires are having a major impact on where and how people can recreate, aren't they? 
Yeah, it certainly is making it tough for for people to get outdoors. At least in in some parts of the state, one of the one of the big issues though is you know the smoke is is really everywhere, and that makes it hard, if not you know impossible, for some people to even enjoy the outdoors. So, um, you know, health wise, people are people are being told in a lot of cases, you know, don't don't go outside, don't exert yourself in these areas where this smoke is especially heavy. Now, there are places you can recreate, and we're trying to encourage people to get out, but now we have the upcoming hunting seasons, and there's a lot of closures, not only the smoke, but some of these fires are going to move the animals. Some of these fires are going to restrict access to people who have bought licenses or who are about to buy licenses. How does all this impact the hunting? Well, you know, it, it, it's, a complex, uh, it's a complex process that we have to go through with, with all the things that are going on. So we've got four major fires that are, that are burning in, in the northwest part of the state. The largest of those is the Pine Gulch Fire, and that one's north of Grand Junction. It's at about 126,000 acres this morning. Um, 126,000 acres is a whole lot of fire. It's the second largest in the history of Colorado behind only the Hayman Fire. Um, which I believe was about 135,000. So we, we, you know, they say we may get there and become the largest fire in the history of Colorado. Now you say 125,000 acres, and everybody goes, "Wow, that's a, that's a lot of territory." But when you put it on the map and you look at all the lands that the Bureau of Land Management that manages all those public lands around that, all those lands that they're closing to kind of keep people out of the way and the potential path of the fire, and to keep people out of the way of the fire fighters uh you're you're talking about uh, the total closure space right now is 650,000 acres so you know we're we're over half a million acres of of land that is currently closed to recreation now we're working with the bureau of land management we're trying to make sure that you know when when Fall turkey starts up September 1 when archery season, fall bear season get going September 2nd, that those closures can be, you know, reduced to allow people to get in there and recreate. But we're still going to have some areas that just aren't available for for sportsmen that hunters just can't get into. And so there are license codes that, that were set up to to refund as long as people apply for those refunds the day before the season starts. So if you have, for example, a, an archery license, um, either sex deer tag in Unit 31, um, which is where that Pine Gulch fire is, uh, a lot of that land is just not going to be accessible. So, you know, we're, we're, we're offering refunds for those folks. Now, if you have a, a license that allows you to hunt five, six units or something like that, we're really encouraging you to go find a, a different part, a different unit to, to hunt. We talk about these fires in terms of a large size, Terry, but what I think a lot of people don't recognize is, you know, Colorado's got 23 million acres of public land. So there's a lot of, of places to go out there and hunt. This isn't shutting down hunting season by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a big fire and it has a big impact on game management unit. 31. We see the same thing with the Grizzly Creek fire, which is burning in the, the area around Glenwood Canyon and has caused I-70 closures, and we don't know when that'll reopen, but they are indicating it should be soon, and I actually drove through Glenwood Canyon to do some assessment on some bighorn sheep, went through there yesterday. 
Um, so we were able to get in, get access, and saw some some of the bighorn just right back down in the canyon where the fires already burned through, and and they're finding finding food and forage in the canyon, and and seem to be enjoying the fact that there's nobody in there. Um, so you know, Grizzly Creek's going to have a, an impact on on sportsmen, as will the Williams Fork fire, which is a large fire, about ten thousand acres this morning, burning up in the area south of Hot Sulphur Springs and kind of to the to the east of uh, Green Mountain Reservoir up there. And then there's a, also a fire, Cameron Peak Fire, which is actually in, in our northeast region over on the other side of the, the Continental Divide, but it's affected access for people that might be coming from Fort Collins and trying to get up into, you know, that North Park area or up to State Forest State Park area. So a lot of fires burning and a lot going on. Yeah, now – What's the process for the refund, real quick, Randy? If if I just can't get to hunt where I where I was designated to hunt, is it a pretty basic process? It is a it is a pretty basic process. Now we've got to set those those units, and and so you know if you have questions, my advice you can start on the website. If you go to the big game page on our website, there's a full list of all the licenses that are already approved for refund. Um, and, and people can check there. Uh, and if you have questions, call. Um, there may be licenses out there where we're just not sure, you know, what the access looks like at this point. So we're kind of working our way through it. We appreciate everybody's patience, but, heck, everybody's got a whole lot of practice on patience with this COVID stuff. So, you know, this is just another one of those 2020 things where we get a curveball and, and we're working on it. The last thing before I let you go is uh, there's campgrounds that are closed also, but I think right now one of the messages we really want to leave people with is how cautious they have to be about fires right now. Yeah, and, you know, the the state of Colorado is under a, a fire ban. The governor has, has declared a fire ban, so you can't have an outdoor fire pretty much wherever ever you are at this point, and what we really need is, well, we need some moisture, and, and we're – kind of fingers crossed right now that we get some of that we got about a week and a half before these seasons start up fingers crossed that we get some weather through and some of these things can can maybe lighten up and and some of these restrictions will go away and certainly some of these large closers that the forest service and the blm have can can shrink down a little bit to to just the areas that have been burned or that are that are you know in the fire path yeah, and folks, what any activity that could trigger fire, please be cautious. Smokers, wait, you know, don't smoke out in the open parks or the open woods. It's just, it's tinder out there. We want everybody to have a good time and be out there, and we want to save our resources, and we want them available for you. Randy, I have to let you go. Any last comment? Terry, the one thing I will tell you is everybody thinks fire is really big and bad, and it is in some ways. But I'll tell you this, if you have to have a 125,000-acre fire, that area that the, the Pine Gulch fire is burning north of Grand Junction is a good area that really needed some of the rehab and, and some of the stuff. So this is going to be real beneficial in the long term for some of our big game herds. So um, fire is a management tool, and it's really part of the ecosystems of the, the western United States. And so there, there will be some benefits for some animals that come out of this. It's not all bad. No, I agree with you completely. There were a lot of areas that would need the new growth to support for the habitat to support the animals. Randy, thank you so much for the update. We'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Take care, Terry.
You bet. Randy Hamden from Parks and Wildlife. Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors. If you're going out fishing, kayaking, hiking, hunting, camping, even grilling, stop by one of your Jack's Outdoor gear stores first. They've got everything you need. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from the brush area, he's the district wildlife manager there, is Todd Schmidt. Good morning, Todd. Good morning, Terry. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show today. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about one of my favorite subjects. In fact, if people followed me on follow me on Facebook, you would know we on Terry Wicks from Outdoors on Facebook, you'd know we were gonna talk dove hunting, which I usually refer to as the ammunition manufacturers conspiracy to sell shells. But <laughs> but it is our first real upland game opportunity and it's a wonderful opportunity here in Colorado. I guess the first question to start out, Todd, you oh you're out in the field and I know it's hard to tell sometimes, but What's your general impression of how the doves are looking this year? Well, I think it's going to be a good season for us, Terry. Even though it's been a little dry out here on the Eastern Plains, um, I think that's going to work to our advantage. Uh, The crops are looking good. The food sources are great. And I think if uh, hunters can find a, a water source on the favorite property they like to hunt, I think it's going to be a good year for them. Now, we start out with a lot of doves are a migratory bird, but we kind of look at our resident ones that kind of make their home here first. Then we, do we get the resident ones? How long do they stick around typically? And then when do we see maybe migratory birds come through? I know it's very weather dependent. You're right. You're absolutely right. So, you know, that first um, probably week to two weeks, uh, we'll have those resident um, birds available to us. And then, as most dove hunters know, we're going to get a cold snap at some point there in early September. It's going to move that group on through. Um, So as they march down the plains, different folks will have different opportunities. Um, But likewise, we'll see our birds from the north uh, come moving on through in different flights. So kind of throughout September, you can expect to have different opportunities based on kind of those weather patterns and as the birds move around. Now, that's a great point, because I think so many people think I have to be out that first weekend in it opens first weekend in September, I believe it has to be out there right away. And, you know, kids are back in school, sports are starting up, maybe you can't get out that weekend. But it's there's a lot of great opportunity, probably through the whole month. And it may be a little hit and miss as you go through the month, but you can have spectacular days later, right? Absolutely. So the season does extend now all the way through the end of November. Um, I've not personally hunted in November. I probably wouldn't encourage that as too much, but September, the first parts of October will lend itself to a lot of opportunity. And I think, uh, you know, work it around that schedule. And if there's a day off during the week, you might have the place to yourself. Well, that's just it. You get a little later in the season, a lot of people quit going out, and they probably shouldn't. From your conversation, I assume you're a pretty avid uh, avid dove hunter. Now, it's our first upland game, and I kid a lot about it, but it really is that first chance to get out, tune up your skills, and they're really tasty table fare, aren't they? They really are. I think, uh, to your point, it's a great opportunity to 
Um, hopefully people have dusted off the rough throughout the summer, right? The rust and, and that way they're hopefully breaking some clays to get ready for dove season. But if for some reason you didn't, that should be a great opportunity for you to put some rounds through your shotgun and improve those skills for later on this fall. As we know, we've got, you know, duck season coming up not too long with the early teal. Um, the regular duck season begins in October and then, I think uh, something that's probably near and dear to your heart is our our uh, pheasant season that will start up in November. But it all begins here in September with dove. And um, I would also encourage people, I agree with you wholeheartedly, that they are wonderful table fare. Um, you know, my family enjoys it with just a little bit of Italian dressing, marinate them for maybe 30 minutes before you put them on the grill. doesn't take long, and holy cow, you have yourself a wonderful, uh, wonderful meal. And, you know, uh, you're going to traditionally do this out on the eastern plains more, uh, away from where we're having the fires right now. So it gives you a place to recreate without having to worry about some of the, the closed areas up in the mountains and an opportunity. Now, when you go dove hunting, um, we have a lot of – we have a program in Colorado, our walk-in access program that mm-hmm. Ed Gorman and I talk a lot about on this show, and it's tremendous. Um, does it start – Does does it start with dove season? Can I use the walk-in access for doves? You absolutely can. And so we just got our first um, walk-in at- atlas published, and it's out this week. You can always find it online. Um, but it'll show you those properties. There's a lot of properties here on the Eastern Plains that open up September 1st, just in time for dove season. And they're a really great opportunity. So access when we talk access, Terry, out on the Eastern Plains, the walk-in portion of our access is significant. Um, it starts September 1st. It typically runs through um, the end of February. Some of them go through the end of small game seasons. Also, we have state trust lands um, that people can access here on the Eastern Plains, as well as our state wildlife areas. So it's really um, an important component to access on the Plains. You're right. So there is a lot, right? And on this, and we won't get in detail about walk-in access, but it allows you to go to properties that are owned by their private land, but they're they're paid to open them for hunting. You don't have to go knock on the door. They're well posted. They're shown in an atlas. You can just walk into those those areas that are posted as walk-in access and hunt. There is still a lot of private land out there, though, that. You know, if the doves start moving around because you're getting pushed a little bit, I'll bet the the farmers out there aren't too hesitant about letting you uh, hunt a few doves as long as you don't interfere with their harvest. That's absolutely correct. You know, private land is a key component to the eastern plains and to um, our wildlife. And there's plenty of farmers out there that as long as you come before season, I encourage people to do it well before opening morning. And to get out there, knock on a door, introduce yourself, and chances are going to be pretty good that that farmer will appreciate that and and might give you access. Um, you know, you might get a no here or there, but you'll you'll find some new opportunities as well. Now, before I let you go, we've talked about it's been a dry year. I would say a few months ago when there was quite a bit of water yet, uh, people were probably all types of hunting, whether it was dove, pronghorn, were wondering about the habitat, how to set up their hunts. Um, I would think you mentioned it earlier, though, that with this dry spell, hunting water is going to be just prime this, this fall. 
You know, I think you're right. And I think that uh, when I think about our state wildlife areas that are along the South Platte, you know, that's one of the places I want to consider as a first option since those doves are going to need that. Um, But I think that's going to be an important factor, whether it's a water tank um, out on a walk-in access area or a state trust land, um, those are going to be hot spots. And, you know, I think dove season is also a great opportunity for our novice hunters, people that are new to the outdoors and want to decide or have an experience of what hunting's like. You know, it doesn't take much to get out into the field um, for your first dove hunt. You're right. Pretty much all you need is a, a shotgun and a, a hunting license and a hip number, and you're ready to go and a, a small game license. And it's uh, they're not – you can locate the doves. Sometimes you just wait for them to come to you. You don't have to spend a lot of time in the field like with a dog like you might with other upland game, right? That's correct. You know, it's one of those things that, uh, especially on our, our river corridor properties, you know, the doves love to fly in and through those cottonwood corridors. So take a bucket, turn it upside down, sit down and enjoy the afternoon. And as the doves fly through, you'll have some opportunities. Yeah, it sounds like a great time to get out. And with more and more people getting outdoors, this can spread them out and get them out to a new activity and maybe get them into the shooting sports. We're going to talk later on in the show to Colorado Clays about shooting sports being a family outdoor activity. And dove hunting can be a great way to get out with your your children, your friends. And there's just a bonding that goes on in the outdoors that's so special. Todd, we've got to run, but any last comment? You know, I just appreciate the opportunity, and I, too, encourage you to go enjoy places like Colorado Clays to hone up your skills, um, get a first taste of what shooting's like, and then come on out east and enjoy uh, dove season with us. All right. It sounds great, even if, I, even if they do frustrate me sometimes. But, you know, they're really about the same size as a clay. So if you can break a clay, you can hit a dove. So I, I, I kid a lot about it. <laughs> Just don't send them out there with a 410 like my dad did when I was little. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Terry. You, you bet. Todd Schmidt from Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a time out. And when we come back, Austin Parr is going to join us. And we're going to talk fishing. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. A band is blowing Dixie. You know, Kyle, you always put dire straits in just when a time to get me just tapping my foot. They really get you going. Yeah, it's a, it's a good fire starter for the Terry Wickstrom Outdoors show, that's for sure. All right. Let's go to the phones. Joining us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is Austin Parr. And, Austin, we, uh, we talked earlier during the show. Well, first of all, we talked just the last previous segment about dove hunting, something near and dear to your heart and... Uh, and they're telling me, Todd Schmidt from out there is telling me he thinks it's going to be a really good dove season. So that that's probably a heartwarming to you. Absolutely. I'm definitely looking forward to it, and uh, especially with some of these obviously hot conditions we've been dealing with. I don't think we're going to have that before season freeze like we've had in years past. Yeah, it looks like it's going to start out really well. It should be good. But we've got other things going on. We've got water falling in the northeast part of the state. In the northwest part of the state, we've got fires burning, and we've got some warm water conditions. So some of the activities have been listed, but uh, limited or or restricted, but people really still want to get out. So I thought maybe you could point us some places we could still go fishing. 
Absolutely. So front range, still we're having solid water levels, as that typically is the case as far as in our large reservoirs. And, and I guide on Chatfield and Cherry Creek, which both have solid water. But uh, Chatfield definitely is fishing better than Cherry Creek with West Chad in that lake. So the walleyes and smallmouth bass are being quite cooperative. And even if you're looking to fish from the shoreline, uh, the bass are all over the rocks right now. And some small stick baits like a Senko fished uh, weightless on either a Texas rig or a wacky rig can be very effective out there. Uh, green pumpkin type colors as well as black and blue have been fantastic. And top waters definitely from the shore can be very good as well. Casting those along the rocks and working them back is definitely a, a worthwhile way to go. Uh, but then as you go north and south, Pueblo is still fishing well on the lake itself. The tailwater uh, is very, very warm down there and would definitely not recommend doing any fishing down there with how hot uh, the weather or how hot the water is. But the lake uh, has good water levels. There's a lot of shad out there, and the trolling bite definitely has been better, as is the case as you move up north. Horsetooth is loaded with bait right now. Um, Boyd as well, uh, a little bit of falling water on Boyd, but still decent water for boating. So the front range, we're looking at some pretty good opportunities. Ronnie Castiglione yep. said earlier that we're seeing some schooling white bass up at Boyd. Now, if I don't know that we know the water conditions down southeast, but if you can still get on John Martin, the schooling white bass would probably be unbelievable. But, boy, anywhere you go right now, you need to check before you go if you're pulling a boat, don't you? Definitely, yeah. I mean, I'd be calling the state park wherever you're going and or the, the local parks and wildlife office in the region if, if it's a, a place that uh, doesn't necessarily have a, a state park office there. Some of those other bodies of water like Adobe Creek and, and Nenoshi and Negranda uh, all could be having very low water. I'm not 100% sure as to what those conditions are down there, but we've certainly seen a lack of water, obviously, in that particular region of the state. And uh, with John Martin, at least, uh, the state uh, owns a lot more water than it does in other places. So there will be additional salvage pool kept on John Martin. But uh, whether or not that's going to be uh, boatable water later in the year, I'm not 100% sure. So calling down there certainly is a good idea. But as you mentioned, those, those white bass and wipers are going to be getting under those, those schools of shad. The water level is plenty high enough in the trees earlier to get a nice shad hatch this year. So there should be plenty of uh, bait for those fish to eat. And pair of binoculars, definitely not a bad idea. And find those, those busting uh, bait balls out there with maybe some birds on top of them. And top waters and rattle traps will get the job done. All right. How about up in the mountains? North north part of the mountains are a little sketchy right now. There's a lot of fires, limited access. But where would you go if you were going to go fishing for trout in the mountains? Definitely, I would be thinking the Arkansas would be pretty high on my list, uh, away from some of the fires, certainly, and smoke. And the, the fishing has been very productive. Uh, up higher, especially, you don't have to worry about water temperatures quite as much. But as you get down lower, uh, you know, if that water temperature is even getting close to that 65 to 70 degree range, you know, that's time to, to stop for those trout. Our warm water species like walleyes and smallmouth bass don't don't have an issue with it nearly as much. But it can really harm some of those trout uh, later in the day. But I like fishing up higher, higher, higher elevation a lot of times. And smaller streams, certainly in the upper Arkansas, is pretty high on my list for that. But additionally, high elevation lakes can be absolutely fantastic. And there's a bunch down there in that Mount Princeton kind of area. And uh, throwing things like your terrestrials, beetles and ants, hoppers can be very effective. But then if there's any kind of cloud cover or wind and you can't see the fish to cast to them and then sight fish to them, a streamer like a woolly bugger or a bar slump buster can definitely get the job done. Yeah, there's still plenty of opportunities. I think the message I want to get out to people is, you know, be aware of where you're going. If you're taking a boat, check the water levels. 
But there's a lot of great fishing still available up and there's going to be through, you know, we'll get these fires under control, but there's going to be a lot of a lot of great fishing available. I'm sure the, the South Park area is probably fishing very good. Nate will probably give us a quick update. But what have you heard from there? South Park spinny's falling like crazy as far as water level, and it's scattering some of those big fish. So it's been definitely a little bit more challenging. 11 Mile has been holding a little bit better water, but spinny has been been being dropped quite a bit. Antero, there's been a lot of weed growth up there, so it hasn't been uh, overly productive. But if you can get on the edges of those weed lines, definitely been been good. And then some of your small stream stuff up there on the plat has been great for dry dropper fishing. So that's been very effective. And then the other one to kind of think about if you want to get up away from some fires and some smoke and especially if you have a float tube or a small boat is jefferson lake jefferson lake uh, gets overlooked i think a lot by uh, anglers that are maybe not necessarily looking to, to catch small rainbows which it has a lot of but but there's a lot of big lake trout up there as well and those lake trout don't get pressured quite as much as in other areas but they kind of require that that little float tube or, or pontoon boat or john boat that you can go up there and vertical jig to them and Tube jigs can be very, very effective, but I've also done well on things like jigging wraps and jigging spoons, and uh, there's some some fantastic fishing to be had uh, right up there, and then there's a creek that's below that has a lot of uh, brook trout in it in the beaver ponds. So that's a kind of a, a two different opportunities in Jefferson. Well, you know, first of all, the fact that you would catch a fish on a jigging wrap just amazes me. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it is one of your favorite lures. We all have our go-to lures. We really like to fish, don't we? But Absolutely. The other, com- the other comment I was going to make was you mentioned the brook trout. If you can get up to a little higher elevation this time of the year and coming into the next month or so, when those brook trout are turning colors for the spawn, they may not be the biggest fish in the world, but they look like they're hand-painted. They are so beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they're so willing to eat a dry fly and a dropper combination. And it's really a stealth game in some of those beaver ponds where you're sneaking around making accurate casts. And it truly is some of my favorite fishing. Obviously, they're not very big, but uh, you're certainly overcoming your quality of size with quantity of fish. And then, as you mentioned, the, the, the quality of colors and, and the beautiful scenery can be very, very nice in there. But one thing to mention, a lot of these brook trout streams do have a lot of moose in them as well, particularly that Jefferson drainage. So just keep an eye out for those guys as well, especially as we're moving into the rut. Yeah, the, probably the most dangerous animal in Colorado is the moose, and people need to understand that. Austin, if people want more information, where do they find you? can find me at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on Santa Fe, and I am here all the time. So I'm happy to answer any questions and go into depth wherever we need. All right, my friend, uh, as always, great information. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Terry. You have a great day. You bet. Austin Parr, always a great contributor. He loves dove hunting. He's going to be so torn here because we're going to get into some really good fall fishing, and he's going to not know whether to reach for his rod or his his shotgun. And I'll tell you, that's a great thing about living in our state, the fact that we still do have so many tremendous opportunities here. You know, we're going to take a time out here in a minute, and Nate Zielinski is going to join us. We're going to talk some getting ready for big game, but we've still got more fishing coming up. Um, we've got Kirk Dieter, for the editor of Trout Magazine, He's and he's from also Field and Stream. He's going to join us. And then we're going to go to Colorado Clays and talk some shooting. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.